0: Hello and welcome to the e-commerce Playbook Podcast. My name is Andrew Ferris and I am so glad you've joined me for another episode. Uh, As today, we dive into a subject that I have just loved thinking about recently and that I hope will be some help to you. I wanna talk about really deeply understanding where you create value in your business. Uh, The better you can understand the answer to that question, the better you can build your business towards the answer to that question. So that's what we're gonna jump into today. Uh, Hang in with me. Let's not delay it. Let's get right into it and get going in just a second. Because of some of the work I've been doing at CTC, both on the client side and then also just around the data newsletter that I talked about last week. Um, I'm just going to plug that again really fast. I do want to make sure that you understand what that is. Every week we take the data that we have from about 200 stores representing about five and a half billion dollars worth of e-commerce revenue. So huge data set, largest publicly available e-commerce data set that, that I'm aware of. We take that data and we just look at trends from the last month, from the last year over year, pre iOS 14 and a half, uh, 14.5, 14. 14 holy cow, 14.5, and post iOS 14.5, um, and just try to get a sense of what's happening in the broad e commerce world. And this week, um, looking at that data set, as I saw the, the continuing trend of Facebook spend going up, despite, first of all, not only ROAS going down, across all those stores, spend was up about 15%, trailing 12 months over trailing 12 months. So sort of year over year over the last 12 month time period. Spend was up about 15, I think like 18 grand a week. Well, ROAS numbers were down and uh, and that's reported ROAS. So um, down about 8% to a 1.54 average ROAS. And in the midst of that, also revenue up year over year over that time period, about, about 20 grand per week. So it's just interesting. There's this thing happening in this data set, spend continues to grow and ROAS goes down. And I also hear all of this talk all over the place and have participated in some of it around like, how come it's so much harder on Facebook than it used to be? So it's a, that's a weird mix, right? If it's so hard on Facebook right now, and if Facebook is such a key driver for a lot of especially earlier stage e-commerce, why in the world are businesses still growing? And why are in the world, even more to the point, why are people still spending so much money there? And there could be all kinds of answers to that question. And, and so first thing here, just go to the show notes, go subscribe, go get into that data newsletter. We update that every week. And I'm actually working with the team working on that. So I'm in the data there. I'm thinking through insights from that. And that's going to spur all kinds of thoughts for me getting out of what I have been doing on this show, which is much more in the weeds of individual brands and now thinking really broadly about what I see happening across the landscape. And so that's definitely spurring some thoughts for me. And as I look at that, as we update that every week, we've got all kinds of cool stuff coming there. So if that's a free email, go get that. Go look at the channel to and go get that. But to get back to my point, there's something weird going on here where spend keeps growing, revenue keeps growing, but the contribution margin, by which I mean revenue minus ad spend minus cogs, basically, and people define contribution margin differently, but that's what I'm thinking of. That is getting thinner because that, that ROAS is getting smaller as an average. And there's the game of e-commerce is changing. and And because I think people are less and less even trying to be profitable on the first purchase, which was when I started in e-commerce, that was like so totally... The way we thought about and even pitched at CTC when I was first at CTC, that's how we pitched clients. We were telling them, go and get on Facebook ads. You will be profitable right away and spend your money there. And we gave them a ROAS target based on how much margin we were going to try and create. I had one, I still remember a client who was a pretty early stage business whose ROAS target was six. It was a six to one target and we hit it. I didn't, I was under promising big time. I like, I don't know if we could do that. And they were really frustrated when we got down to four. I remember. Even earlier than that, when I was at Kalo in the early days, I still remember this. I remember this so vividly. Our CPAs were moving from 8 to $10, $10 to $12, somewhere in that range. It's definitely going up. And our AOVs were around 30, 35 bucks. And we were, I remember, knock down, drag out arguments about whether we should keep spending at those levels on a product that had, what, 85, 90 points of landed margin, like just the highest margin e-commerce product you could possibly imagine, like the absolute 99th percentile margin for a hard good actual retail product. And so there's all of the space. And yet we were still having these arguments about whether or not there was enough margin there. That was the kind of like spoiled world that we lived in at that time with Facebook ads. And what I was reflecting on is that world is gone. And everybody knew that world was going to be gone. I remember at the time, it was like, the conversation was, This is an arbitrage moment and it will go away. Everybody understood that an auction indicated that margin would get competed away over time. And often that margin would get competed away by people who had larger cash reserves so they could take a thinner margin. And that is exactly what happened in this case, right? The spend has kept growing. The margin got competed away. And the ROAS kept coming down. And now we're living at these much lower average margins than we did before. Granted, it's a different attribution window, but still the point remains. I I just think that's a fascinating thing because if you think about what that means for businesses, what it means is now it's really hard to acquire customers profitably with paid traffic. It's also really hard to generate meaningful volumes of organic traffic to your website. Everybody loves to talk about how important it is to go get organic traffic, but it's really earlier stage e-commerce businesses, sub 10 million in revenue, I would say. So few of them are generating meaningful traffic to their sites in, or at least anywhere near the meaningful traffic via non-paid sources. They are, but it takes years and years of buildup of social channels. You think of Beard Brand and the way they built an awesome YouTube follow. I can think of some brands that have done it with some SEO sorts of plays. But what all of those people will tell you is that's a long, slow game. So if you're trying to grow quickly at all, then it's just going to be really hard to do that. Now, if you also step back, what you recognize is that most brands are not living at 85, 90 points of margin. As I said, that's like 99th percentile. And so that means that also as as the contribution margin gets smaller from the ad spend side, and most brands also are struggling, and especially if you're at like 50 points of margin or something like that, there is just this major challenge around this question. And this is really the question I want you to think about right now. It's even, yeah, this is what I really want you to hear from this episode. Here's the question. Where will you create profit in your e-commerce business? Like, where do you actually find it? What is the point at which a customer will get there? By which, how will you get a person to your website to buy something at a profit? Where, what is going to happen to create that? Okay. And profit is what I'm saying. There's actually, the, the real question actually is really shareholder value. At the end of the day, that's what people are really aimed at, sort of shareholder value. And and if you look at the S1s that have been filed from e-commerce businesses, as they go to IPO, right? There are a lot of those brands that have not created profit at all, and yet they've created tremendous shareholder value. So let's just use profit and shareholder value interchangeably, because most of us are not venture-backed probably, and can afford to grow to the moon mentality where profit is not the main thing. But some of you are. And so shareholder value is really what I'm thinking of here, equity value, whatever. But you get the idea. The point is how will your business generate value? And that's often by profit. Sometimes it's just by growth and, and revenue, but often by profit. Okay. And the reason I ask the question that way is if it's not going to be through paid ads today, what is it going to be? And when is it going to happen? And the big point that I want to make is you must be crystal clear on that question. If you are going to build a business that works and you must understand the answer to it, and then build everything towards that. So let me give you an example. When we were running Bamboo, I knew that I was not really going to be creating much profit on first purchase and probably not within the first year of rapid growth, really. Now, there's really great margin in that business too. But what became clear to us is that we were going to make our money on LTV. And now let's just break down that sentence because a lot of people are thinking they're going to make their money on LTV. So let me break down that what I mean by that sentence. What I mean, okay, we were not funded so that meant that we had to be careful still about how we spent our cash or we were funded. But anyway, but for most of that uh, time, we did not have large cash reserves. That's the point, okay? So there's that, okay? It meant that we were going to be acquiring customers at a an AMER, so total new customer revenue over total ad spend of a little over one. We wanted to be 1.2, 1.4, somewhere in there, okay? That is not enough margin on first purchase to be profitable at all. But we also knew that we that customers came back at a very high rate within 60 days of making that first purchase. And so we looked at that and said, that is where we will make to some degree. That's what we thought on that 60 day window. And then also broader than 60 days over a longer time period. Okay. That customers would come back again and again. And over if, if 50% of them came back with, if there was a 50% cash multiplier on a 60 day window, which is what we mean is if there, let's say it a hundred dollar AOV the, the on first purchase, then there was an additional $50 on average per customer in the next 60 days. Okay. So hundred dollars on that first purchase, they the on average, you'd, that customer would produce another $50. Okay. Averages are evil, but you get the basic idea on average. Okay. And then over the course of a year and beyond that, that would go from 100 to 150 in 60 days and from 150 to 200 to 20, et cetera. And so you could draw that map and build it out and think about how customers are going to come back and then what, and then how much value would be created long-term. You could forecast the business that way, or at least theoretically you could, and then try to figure out where it was going to break. Now, now that was clear in my, that was the basic idea, but I'll tell you, I was not at all clear enough on how that worked out to my cash management. I was not clear enough to what that meant for my OPEX over that time and what kind of cash I could put into that and how to think about scaling that, scaling my team against that. I was not thinking nearly clearly enough about what that meant for inventory and how much I needed to have. Now, thankfully, that's not as big of a deal for Bamboo Earth for a lot of reasons we've talked about in the past, but it's cheap and we own the production, so there you go. And I just didn't, I just ha- I didn't look at that and say, this is where value is going to be created, so now how do I build everything towards that? And what I see happen all the time for operators is they have this same problem. They don't really understand. They don't have a very clear model in their heads of where profit is going to come from and over what time period or shareholder value is gonna come from in what time period. Because let's say the shareholder value is going to come in four years. That means something about how you finance the business and how you operationalize the business, okay? And about what kind of management structures you need and what kind of team you need to get there, okay? And so everything just has to be towards that question and it also, even marketing tactically, one of the big problems that you all know about is like, you listen to a show like this, and let's say you're the kind of person who's listening to three e-commerce podcasts. What's going to happen is you listen to me, and let's say you listen to Banholtz and you listen to Andrew Darian, okay? Uh, and those are the two people you listen to. And you hear on Darian's show, I remember an episode where somebody talked about a Kickstarter campaign that went awesome, and they got all this organic revenue off the back of it, and it was amazing. And that's, oh, okay, so maybe I should run a Kickstarter on a new product release. And then I can do that strategy there and go over there. And you listen to Banholtz and he talks to somebody who's just like him, smashes it, smashed it like Beardbrand did with a YouTube following. and says, okay, I got to go build a big YouTube following. And that's organic following. And I'll get to a million subs and whatever. And then you listen to me and I talk about Facebook ads all the time and tactical paid ads, whatever. And what's going to happen is you're going to be tempted to go chase down all of those. But the truth is the thing that should guide which of those things you do and don't do, and they all might work. That's the thing. They all might work. Those are smart people who are talking about those things, okay? They all might work. But what you should do to evaluate whether or not those are the best use, uh, that one of those strategies is the best use of your time and of your marketing efforts. Is this going to get me towards a way that this business actually becomes? So with Bamboo Earth, what's inherent to the business is uh, is not only the manufacturing advantages that they had and the margin advantages that they had, that makes it so that you can acquire customers at a really thin margin, at a thin contribution margin early on, okay, because the inventory works well for that. You've got a high margin product, okay? But of course, the LTV is really good and really strong. And therefore, it makes tons and tons of sense that you would that you would build everything for the main place of shareholder value being created on the LTV. In that case, here's what I would tell you: what bamboo worth ought to do is as much as possible build more LTV into that business by just hammering away at every possible thing that makes retention better and easier. That's And that means nailing your flows, which we spent a lot of time on actually. Okay, so we did that pretty well. I would say this is a good argument for Amazon because it's going to tap into a different customer. People love buying on Amazon and it's really easy to buy the product that you bought before and it's not too much work. So you get that there and you can build a good repeat revenue business on Amazon. I, even that could be a little secondary. It might, might be even something that's not as important right away. But no, I think pro- probably it is. You can go do that and expect that you're going to grow a long tail of value on Amazon, even if you aren't super aggressive on ads there. That means that something like postcard marketing makes a lot of sense for Bamboo Earth because you're, you wanted to go repeat that. What about something that Dave had this great idea for was sampling in box, sampling other products in the box because you're trying to get somebody to start with one product and buy another. This skin quiz that we had and a mini kit versus a full size and using the mini kit to get people into a full size kit over time so they could sample things and so on. All of these things built for this one one big idea, which is how do I repeat re- get repeat revenue? And also building a brand that people absolutely love. And Amber is amazing at that in a lot of ways in terms of just messaging her customers in a way that showed real care, okay? Being relentless about email and SMS capture and so on. But that means doing some, not doing some other things, okay? It means leaving organic social Building big followings there as ways of doing customer acquisition, it just means leaving a moment. We're just not going to build a giant YouTube following. It's not going to. Why? Could you make an argument that, that helps with retention? Sure. And, and maybe sell, so, right? Or at least if you are going to do, then it means that the reason you should do it is because you believe that you can generate a bunch of retention from it. You should have a clear way to connect the the YouTube content effort to the retention. Or same thing of building a community in a Facebook group or something like that. Is that going to meaningfully help retention? If so, then you should do it. But you don't, but everybody has a limitation of resources and limitation of time, limitation of dollars, limitation of pay. So what should you do instead? You should, I, I think what you should do is say, how can we do as well as possible saying, we're going to be comfortable with paid social as our main customer acquisition tool. We're not going to go chase down all kinds of other organic revenue sources. Instead, we're going to just use paid social. We're going to be fine with that. And when we, we are going to make sure that those customers come back in every possible way that we can. And over time, what that will generate is profit on retention. And then you would give your KPIs towards different team members around that. And there's all kinds, of, that comes down to some customer service team members and our on staff esthetician and so on. Okay, now consider a very different business. Consider, I'll come back to another 4-for-100 business that we worked with, which is Slick Products. Slick had 50 points of like that, okay? Basically, Slick had, Slick had pretty below average LTV despite being CPG, basically, okay? And therefore... If you couldn't make a case, oh, and you had to tie up tons of money in inventory. So you you couldn't really make a case that same strategy. That meant that you had to do a couple of things differently. One of them was you had to exist at a higher ROAS, which meant less aggressive ad spend. You, there's no way you could exist in that business at a 1.2 to 1.4 AMER. It's new customer revenue against total ad spend. You just can't do it. You die if you do that. So over time, what Slick began to do, and this was really smart by Slick's founder, Brian Wilkinson, is really push harder on building out the omni-channel business. That meant Amazon trying to make it so that you could grow organic revenue on Amazon via a paid to organic strategy, which takes some time. That's a way to, I don't know if manipulates the right word, but manipulate Amazon's SEO via running paid first and juicing the sales velocity. That's a common tactic. Okay. it could also mean, could also mean, oh, it meant also entering more seriously into wholesale. Okay. Why? Because Slick is a more niche product. And over time, what you want to do is continue to create serious brand recognition in a sub-community, and a subculture, basically, and be able to say to those people, we're native to you, we're in the stores that you shop at, we're here, and as you see all of our ads online, when you now go into a store, you're going to recognize a Slick name and you've seen the influencers we work with and we're for you. And ultimately, it's going to be in repeat purchases from wholesale partners that's going to be the main source of profit in this business. And that's the way you're going to do it. And to me, that makes perfect sense relative to that business. But at the same time, investing in the brand and sort of community touch points This is where like events could have continued to be an interesting part of it and those sorts of things because there's ways to go reach people where they're at, gathered around the, the lifestyle that's connected to this brand. And I don't know, I'm not part, I'm not working on that business anymore. And I don't know what the, what, the, what the current plan is for profitability. But what I'm saying is it would be very different. And whatever the answer is, everything as much as possible should be built towards Accomplishing that as long as the team is relatively small, over time, if you grow your revenue like crazy and you've got or if you raise money or whatever it is, if you do all those things, then then in that case, you have the opportunity to pursue all kinds of other options. maybe you hammer away at retention, maybe you hammer away at product development, maybe you hammer away at whatever, okay, but that's not what you're going to do with a some limitation to your resources. And so this is the question to put in front of every possible business where? Are you generating profit? Where are you generating value in your business? How are you building financing, KPIs, tactics, strategies, marketing plans towards that theory, even if you're wrong and you might be at least to have an idea as best as you can figure out of where you're going to generate the profit and on what timeline. That's the question. Identify that place, whatever is most natural to your brand and go from there. I'll tell you, I've thought about, I've thought about starting a CPG brand. And if I ever do, I'm probably, I'll talk about it here, but I have an idea for it. I won't go into the details of the idea, but I have an idea for a brand. And and I've been thinking about this question for myself, like from day one, what would I try to do to generate this also relative to my own appetite, how in- insane of a life I want to live? Do I want to go and, and take on a bunch of obligation or not? That could change my plan. Again, that, that that's exactly this question though. Where am I going to create shareholder value, whether I'm 100% the shareholder or or I've got investors or whatever else. In any of those situations, I I have thought, I need to know the answer to that question. Where is profit going to come from in this business in a way that makes the most sense endemically to this business and then build everything towards that because if I did it as a side business, I have limited time. If I did it as if I did it as a side business uh, and I don't get investors, I don't only have limit, not only have limited time, but I've limited dollars. So I have to answer that question as best as possible. Where is the profit going to come from? Where's the value and what is going to make this worth my time versus spending all of my time and money on a different opportunity? That's the question you got to ask yourself. Get as clear as you can and build absolutely everything possible in the business towards that. Right, I hope that's been some help to you as always towards just getting a little clearer about what's going on in your business and how you're building towards it. It is really hard. And I think about an episode like this and how it compares to the episode I recorded with Taylor about mistakes I've made. And and I can just tell you, I, I know how important this issue is because of how badly I screwed this up before by 400. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy to do this, but do what you can to get clarity on it and go get it. Hey, if this has been some help to you, as always, I would love if you would pause right now rate it, and review it in all the relevant spots. That would be awesome. And as always, if you could share it with people who you think would also be helped by it, that is another big way that you can say thanks if you like this show, you've been listening for a while. If you'd like to connect with me, the best place to do that is on Twitter, at Andrew J. Ferris. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you next week. Hope everything is going great with you, your life, with your business, and all the rest. Talk to you next time.